So there's a major neglect that's going on in the church today. There's a major neglect because many in the church want to worship the God of the Bible without ever opening the Bible. How do we know that what we believe is actually true? How do we know that what we are telling others in the world is indeed what God says? Well, the only way that you and I can know what God says is by going to him directly in his word. One of the most neglectful things that is done in the church today is asking someone else on our behalf to tell us what the Bible says. Folks, I'm called to be a pastor of this church. I am not called to do the Bible reading for you. I'm not called to live your Monday through Friday for you. I'm here to tell you that this is as important to you to personally read as it is for me. And I will never shy away from making that a statement in this church that Bible reading is absolutely a necessity for breath in this church. Your spiritual lungs depend on it. And sadly, what happens is we neglect to realize that if we're not grounded in the word, we're going to be unstable. You see, a lot of people today are unstable in their life. Oh, they won't openly admit it, but if you were to look at their Monday through Friday, or let's say through Saturday for some of us, the only day they seem to kind of sort of look stable is Sunday. Why? Because they get kind of that little spiritual boost on a Sunday morning. They came to church. They feel a little better when they left, or maybe worse. But the reality is they feel like they've done something before God, right? Like there's a, there's a connection now with the divine. And sadly what happens is they're not grounded in the word and they fall apart Monday morning. But we've looked at four of the five things that really is a church that's done right. We start off by saying that the church that's done right is Christ-centered. We talked about the fact that it's a repentant church. It's a church that turns its mind away from sin and follows Christ. We've talked about the fact that the church needs to be accountable. It's a major, major lack in the church today. There's a lack of accountability going on in churches throughout this nation. And, and sadly, it's really hurt. It's really hurt the church and it's hurt the world in our testimony. Number four we talked about last week is serving. The area of service is important for the believer. In fact, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And we get our cue from him, not from our own selfish hearts that want what we want every time. I venture to say today's point is going to probably be the hardest for many of us to consistently do. Today we're going to be talking about the church being grounded. The church being grounded. We're going to be looking specifically at two areas. There are plenty more that we can cover, but we really have enough time for two. Areas where being grounded is so important. Number one, the area of doctrine. The area of doctrine. And number two, the reason why being grounded is so important is affliction. Or another word to be used, suffering. So when we're talking about being grounded, what do we mean by that? Well, in its simplest form, it would be to be stable. Like, if you were to ask people around you, am I stable, what would they say? Would they ask you to define it further? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by stable? Do we easily blow a gasket? Do we easily get frustrated? Do we go right into the depths of depression when hardship hits? You see... In the simplest form, it's to be stable, to be established. 
We just read that in Ephesians chapter 2. To have a firm foundation. You see, a lot of churches, they start with Christ, ignore Christ, and then try to build away from him. Scripture encourages us to be grounded because the opposite would be disaster for us. In fact, we'd be an unstable church that falls apart and breaks down because it's not built on the right foundation. A good church will continue well past its leadership. Anything should happen to a church that's grounded, even if the pastor leaves, they'll continue. As R.C. Sproul once said, God is never pleased with ignorant worship, with worship that is not grounded in the knowledge of God. So number one we're going to take a look at this morning is doctrine. In, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, we read these words. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. A grounded church is a church that preaches what God's word says and does not shift away from that. What's going on in the churches today is very little Bible, but a lot more opinion. A lot more psychology than scripture. In fact, listen to what, what Paul tells Timothy, who actually is an elder in a church in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. Listen to these words. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Not your opinion. Not what culture really wants. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? Why do you have to do that? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There is doctrine being taught in the churches today, believer. Not all of it's sound. Not all of it's sound. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Paul tells Timothy clearly that you need to preach the word. Preach what you've received from God himself. This Bible, believer, is what you need to ultimately live by. Not a book someone recommended. This is the ultimate source. That commentator may help, but he's not the pure, unfiltered Word of God. In fact, what a lot of people want is a preacher that conforms to what they want to hear. Instead of the Word of God that's pure, that's going to tell them what they need to do. This is one of the reasons why this is so important it becomes a gospel issue in the church. Being accurate with doctrine is so important that it literally is the difference between heaven and hell, and people don't realize it. Many today are teaching 
No longer the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, but one that is mixed with all sorts of falsehood. In fact, one of the prominent ones that's been very popular in America, it still is popular today, but not as much because of the pandemic, is the prosperity gospel. In fact, it's a big one that's losing ground lately because people aren't seeing as much going their way. Many are not seeing as much success. In fact, it's gotten to the point where some people are doubting their salvation because of this. When pastor's goal is to preach to make people happy, and that is how they grow their church, then what happens when that person is no longer happy? There goes the church. Sadly, there are a lot of false professions of faith from preachers that tell people that God wants them to prosper. There's also the moral gospel. This is one that's a big one that's not even considered by many in the church. This is the, as long as I'm a good person, go to church, don't really lie blatantly. White lies are okay. Blatant lies are horrible. Just white lies are okay. God will then let me into heaven because I'm not doing so bad. I qualify because I'm so good compared to my neighbor. Jesus ultimately has very little to do with my salvation because my performance matters most. Some of this moral gospel morphs into what's called a self-help gospel, if you will, where a person takes certain steps to make sure they've become better connected to God, and that's how they know they're saved. It's apart from the Word of God many times. Instead of trusting in the finished work of Christ, the person ends up trusting what they're doing and their performance. Listen, believer, you have to make sure that you're careful because your performance does matter in your assurance of salvation, but it's not the indicator of salvation ultimately only. You can't bank on your righteousness to get to heaven. And sadly, a lot of people are doing that. The third one, I think, is probably the hardest pill to swallow in America today. It's what I consider the nationalistic gospel. I'm going to step on people's toes this morning, but God called me to preach the word. And he calls me to call out false things. The nationalistic gospel is one that believes that since I'm an American-loving patriot, and God we trust, that means I'm a believer and God is on my side. Sad realities is there are many people that use Scripture to define their patriotism as salvific, and it's blasphemy. They think that the certain per political party that defines them is their means of salvation. It's a hard pill for many to swallow, but believer, let me assure you something really quick. If you do know your Bible, there's no solid biblical evidence that tells you that America is ultimately destined for greatness. If you do any honest analysis of Scripture, you don't see America blessed in Scripture. The only blessing that's promised is a nation that lives righteously, that makes Christ king. That's the only promise you see. As a side note, for those of you that are probably going, well, Pastor Rome, that's kind of harsh and rude. I love this country. I want nothing more than this country to prosper. But I realize that outside of Christ, this country is going to continue to fall apart. In the beginning, in the founding of this country, you had a mixture of all sorts of different religious beliefs, if you will, but you had 
Judeo-Christian values that this country was founded on that have been eroded, eradicated in a society. Our founding fathers would have never imagined abortion to be normal. Take that to the bank, do your research. They would have never assumed half the things that we approve of today should have been normalized in society and celebrated. Believer, your citizenship in heaven is more important than your American citizenship. When you get those two backwards, you start realizing that you really have misplaced your identity. There's nothing wrong with, reading, with bleeding red, white, and blue. As long as Christ is preeminent. There are many more false gospels that arise in the church. But in order to know what the genuine gospel is, you need to be very familiar with this word. It's important how you define it. Now I want you to go back to your phone and in that what we believe tab, I want to show you something. Here's a statement found under the ninth Roman numeral regarding faith. The ninth Roman numeral regarding faith. This is what it says. I'll give you just a moment here to, to read with us. It says, True faith is a saving grace by which we rest upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation. As offered to us in the gospel, believe the word of God to be true and seek to appropriate its teaching to ourselves. God does not believe for the sinner. Repentance and faith are the two gifts that when initially exercised constitute conversion. True faith as defined above is distinguished from historical faith, mere assent to historical facts about God and Christ. It is also distinguished from temporary faith in that true faith produces good works through the Holy Spirit and endures to the end. Now, believer, I want you to notice that there are verses at the bottom that are attached to this statement. Let me encourage you to look those up. Let me encourage you to use those as a personal benefit to make sure you're grounded. You see, this document that most members in this church have signed is neglected many times because we've kind of moved beyond that. Can I assure you of one thing that when this was put together, this was not just a mere exercise in futility. There was a reason this was put together. And sadly, many churches, their doctoral statement is the equivalent of something someone scribbled on a napkin and said, this sounds good. Let's put it in our statement of faith. Let me tell you personally, there is not a better statement of faith I've found locally put together for a church than the one we have here. And that has no credit for me at all. That is all pastorism and those before him that put this together. And sadly, a lot of us, we neglect those things because we've moved on from that. Let me assure you of one thing. If you were to take the time to look into that doctrinal statement of faith, if you will, that we have on our website, you'd have enough to search for years. There are so many things there. You'd have words in there like, what does this even mean? You'll have to look up. 
Let me encourage you, believer, to stop being lazy with the Word of God and get grounded. My sincerest thank you to those that put that together. We're encouraged to be grounded not only because eternity is at stake, but because suffering is inevitable in the Christian life. There are afflictions that are awaiting us, believer. And if you're not grounded in the Word of God, you're going to fall apart when they hit you. In fact, most of us know this last year really tested us quite a bit. Let, 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 me, let me hopefully encourage you on this, maybe scare you. Buckle up, you ain't seen nothing yet. 2020 is not the worst year of your life, believer. It's only the beginning of more to come. If you want to be a follower of Christ that's faithful to him, you need to understand there's a lot more at stake here. There's a lot more than just a pandemic that you and I need to be concerned with. So number two, afflictions. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 19. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this is Paul speaking, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart, and my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to pay attention, believer, that in the beginning, what Paul is doing is connecting the sufferings and the afflictions in this life to the importance of being grounded. The importance of being grounded. As John Flavel once said, the scriptures teach us the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering, and the most comfortable way of dying. You see, one of the most obvious things is that suffering abounds in this world. I don't think anybody can debate that. It's absolutely unavoidable. You can possibly delay suffering for a season, but it'll inevitably come. There's no doubt about it. There's suffering in this life due to poor choices that we make, sins that we commit against God and others. There's also suffering due to living a godly life and facing opposition. Believer, if you can choose which suffering out of the two you should go with, choose to suffer for godliness. As a believer and disciple of Jesus Christ, the enduring for good or living godly should be your priority. 
Peter points this out in 1 Peter 3.17. Very clear. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. A.K.A., you can suffer for either one. Suffering can be produced by living a godly life. Suffering can be produced by living an evil life. And believer, a lot of the choices that you and I make, we suffer because of them. In the context of suffering for doing evil would be the opposite of what is encouraged. In fact, the greater context of that chapter that Peter is referencing is to wives living upright lives before their unbelieving spouse. To share the gospel which may introduce suffering and pain in that relationship if the spouse is repulsed by their gospel witness. It's more about what's on the inside than the outside, believer. Husbands are encouraged to be understanding with their wives by being gentle. In fact, Peter states clearly that the wife is to be treated gently because they are different than you are, man. And that you're to show her honor, else your prayers are hindered. The reason you're not getting help many times in your suffering, believer, and let's face it, for some of us, marriage may be suffering, is because it's self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted. You and I want God to bless and help us in our trial that we ourselves have caused. And God is saying, before I answer your prayer, husband, I need you to treat your wife properly. I'm not listening to your prayer. If you want to debate with Scripture, go ahead. It clearly states that your prayer could be hindered if you don't want to live this out. There are many that are not understanding to the point of abuse in the home, but think that God will still listen to their prayers. That's blasphemy. Scripture tells us clearly that our prayers can and will be hindered if we don't live certain things out. In fact, the psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's not something we want to hear. There have been moments and seasons in my own life that I'm wondering why God isn't listening, and then I realize, oh, it's me. It's not that God's not available. That I've got sin that's completely blocked my access to Him. I'm asking God to change everyone else around, but I don't want to change anything in my own heart. Listen to how another translation renders verses 8 through 17. Amplified translation. Finally, we're going to go back to verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, Brotherly, kind-hearted, courteous, and compassionate toward each other as members of one household and humble in spirit. And never return evil for evil or insult for insult. Avoid scolding, berating, and any kind of abuse. But on the contrary, give a blessing. Pray for one another's well-being, contentment, and protection. For you have been called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. From God that brings well-being, happiness, and protection. For the one who wants to enjoy life and see good days, good whether apparent or not, must keep his tongue free from evil and his lips from speaking guile, treachery, deceit. 
He must turn away from wickedness and do what is right. He must search for peace with God, with self, with others, and pursue it eagerly, actively, not merely desiring it. For the eyes of the Lord are looking favorably upon the righteous, the upright. And his ears are attentive to their prayer, eager to answer. But the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil. Now who is there to hurt you if you become enthusiastic for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, though it's not certain that you will, you are still blessed, happy to be admired and favored by God. Do not be afraid of their intimidating threats, nor be troubled or disturbed by their opposition. But in your heart set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging Him, giving Him first place in your lives as Lord. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you for the account, for the hope and confident assurance elicited by faith that is within you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. And see to it that your conscience is entirely clear, so that every time you are slandered or falsely accused, those who attack or disparage your good behavior in Christ will be shamed by their own words. For it is better that you suffer unjustly for doing what is right, if that should be God's will, than to suffer justly for doing wrong. Imagine with me, believer, that the suffering you're going through currently is really your own fault. and You just need to own it. Just think of how much less suffering would be when it comes to our relationships with others if we made sure we were honest enough to admit our own shortcomings before God. Just think of how different it would be if we responded biblically than psychologically and how psychology teaches us. Don't show them respect. They don't deserve it. Isn't that not what a lot of people teach? Until they've earned my respect, I will not respect them. Well, that's wonderful. You really, you really find yourself to be worthy of respect many times? I'll tell you, one of the most humbling things is when you and I are going through something and we know that we have not been up to par and someone still shows us the courteous decency to treat us with respect when we don't deserve it. Jesus is a gentle shepherd. You know who he really turns up the discipline for? The self-righteous person. The one that's broken, that's pleading, Lord, forgive me, sinner, Jesus has a totally different response to than the pharisaical prayer of the self-righteous man. Some of our suffering is entirely because of our neglect of Scripture, believer. Oh, you might know a lot of Scripture, but for some reason, a lot of us, we graduate to the really deep things. The basics we keep missing every time. Our absolute ignorance of what God has clearly revealed in His Word is evident by our lack of obedience in those areas. What you know in your head doesn't mean it's connected to your heart. There's a third reason of suffering that many jump to being the reason, but they don't examine the first two. 
The last type of suffering is simply a suffering because of God's divine providence. And it has nothing to do with yours or my performance. In fact, Job knows very much about this. You see, many people say, well, wouldn't that be him suffering for righteousness sake? No, what you're missing in that story is that God points Job out to Satan. If you will, God sets the pretext for this whole thing. And as Job lost his children, his servants, his animals, his crops, eventually his own health, here's what his response was. Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose, arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with doing wrong. You see, when you and I see somebody going through something like cancer or terminal illness, it's not necessarily suffering due to to a poor choice they've made. Or for righteousness' sake, if you will. It could just be the providential hand of God that's working something in that person's life to bring them to conformity of Christ. You, listen, you and I need to listen to this proper response from Asaph when he's troubled by what's going on around him. I think it's very appropriate for what we are going through in our culture right now. I'd recommend that you read the whole chapter of Psalm 73. It's an excellent chapter to always be reminded that God knows what he's doing even when it seems like everything's chaotic. But here we're going we're to read verses 25 through 26. He says, whom, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or if you think that New Testament doesn't reemphasize the same thing, let's go to the chapter that's quoted probably the most by most believers going through a hard time, Romans chapter 8, but verses earlier that most people don't quote for some reason enough when they're going through hardships. Everybody quotes, quotes the last part. But in verse 18, look at what Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Church, you and I need to be grounded, else we'll just fall apart. I want you to go back to your cell phone and look at the section on providence in our doctrinal statement. It's it's seven under the doctrine of God, if you will, or theology proper. It's a section on providence. Here's what it says. God from all eternity decreed all things that come to pass and perpetually governs all creatures and events. However, He is in no way the author or approver of sin, nor does His decree in any way violate the responsibility and accountability of man for all His acts and failures to act. Listen, believer. Let's not assume that all our suffering in this world is because of how wonderful we are and how terrible everyone else is. 
Sadly, we need a reality check sometimes. Many times it's our own doing that we're suffering. And if it isn't, be comforted that God is trying to show you something through that suffering. Sometimes we miss the obvious. Oh, it's me. That's the obvious. You're struggling. Seems like you're never going to get out of this mess you're in right here. Maybe you need to go back to the Word of God and see what God says that you should do and not try to find a quick fix. Here's the interesting part, and I don't think a lot of us even notice this. Even the 12-step programs that you and I see that the world implements, let's say with you know, Alcoholics and Anonymous, Anonymous, I can't even say the word. Any of those programs, right? They take time. What blows my mind is believers want the quick fix sometimes. I'm just going to pray this sin away. Really? How many years did you get to that point? It's a war. You need to fight back, and it's going to take some time. Many times, it's our own doing. And it's our own doing is the reason that we're suffering. As C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So in conclusion, let me give you a straight up question that I think every one of us are afraid to ask sometimes. How stable are you? How stable are you? Believer, are you falling apart? It's one of the reasons why I think as much as it's great to be able to tune in live stream, there's nothing like being in person with other fellow believers in Christ. We miss you all. Are you falling apart, believer? Does it seem like you can't get any answers to the suffering in your own life? Have you done an honest analysis if you're the cause for the suffering in your life? You see, sometimes you just need to step back and be honest before God and admit where you're wrong and where he's right. If you know that suffering is due to sin and you refuse to repent, then realize you're going to continually walk an unstable life. You and I need to stop with the excuses as to why we aren't better right now than we should be. You need to get grounded in the Word, believer. I've said this to you probably a thousand times by now in the last two years. You need to be in this book. And when you're falling apart and you're wondering why and you haven't read the Word, I hope this is a reminder to you. You need to stop with the excuses. Sadly, some of you don't know God any more accurately than a little children's Bible story book that you read in Sunday school. And the reason for that is you don't care to learn more deeply about who God is. 
you're comfortable with knowing what you already know. If we're the bride of Christ, maybe it's important that we get to know the groom well. You know in a marriage what happens when there's tension. You know in a marriage when there's misunderstandings. Let me tell you right now, Jesus is perfect. He's always right. You're the flawed one. And you and I need to make sure that we align with him. And as scripture says, to not betray him and fall into, if you will, spiritual adultery. Your stability is directly related to your doctrinal accuracy, believer. Those that don't care for doctrinal accuracy typically get swayed easily by false doctrine and worldly philosophies. That is why so many Christians have very little that distinguishes them from somebody else. God wants you to be grounded, believer. That means that you need to build on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, but you've got to continue building. And what you don't do is ignore him and start building separately. You need to know what, what you believe and why you believe it. And let me encourage you once again, a great place for you and I to start is to go into the doctrinal statement of faith that we have and read through it and get to know it and study that. You'll find enough for years to dig through personally to increase your stability. Let's pray.